So this is, uh, this is going to be an interactive activity, but I think what we're going to do is we're going to switch the order. So um, we are going to start with the final session, and then uh, after the final session, inshallah, uh, we'll have an interactive activity here in this crow's nest. It's very straightforward, but it involves journaling. And then uh, we'll conclude with just one thing I want to read from this book. So that's going to be the pl plan, and we'll be done f from this with this completely by 10.30, inshallah. And at 10.30 will be the time to pack up and things like that. At 10.30 after pack up uh, and wrap up, between I think 11.30 and 12.30, there's a little bit of a gap. Uh, and uh, we're s the, the organizers are figuring out how exactly we can fill that. There are some things that need to be done in the campsite. There's also an opportunity for us to do group reflections with the campfire. So we'll see exactly how we're going to work that out, inshallah. Then it'll be lunch, and then it'll be dhuhr. And after dhuhr, uh, we're just going to do basically a closing dua. So there won't be any additional sessions after. So we strongly encourage everyone to stay till then. Um, and uh, I, I know that, that that's, that's the plan for everyone all along. But just as a reminder that you know we, we will plan to wrap up by dhuhr, and we're expecting and hoping and planning for everyone to be here until then, inshallah. Uh, and the time will be filled. So we're going to... Again, cover this, uh, th we're going to do the session for about 20 to 25 minutes, then the interactive activity in this room for about 20, 25 minutes, and we'll be done, inshallah, by 10.30 with this part of the program. So this final session is, uh, so, so in the, let me just recap. In the last session, we uh, talked uh, about, um, we, we, I, we just gave a broad overview of what it means to be tested, what tests really are, and the different positive and negative tests that Allah Ta'ala has created and how really every single thing that comes our way is in some way, shape, or form a test. Some things that are positive, some things that are negative. We talked about how we react to those things that are apparently negative and what the purpose behind these things are. And then we kindly concluded just summarizing that the reason that we don't want trials and tribulations to come to us uh, isn't because there is potential benefit and reward. It's that there are people that fail these tests and we've seen this with our very eyes so many times we don't want to be from amongst that group ever. And we've, we concluded by saying that the stronger, we inc the stronger our relationship is with Allah and the deeper our iman is, the lesser the chances of us, have, us failing a test. Not being tested, but us failing a test. Okay, so this final session is going to be, I'm going to discuss, bring up three things that come mainly from the text about things that we do uh, to, in the face of tribulation or to protect from tribulation. So we're going to read, this is Wisdom 38, um, it's on the screen for the sisters. Uh, in response to one person's letter, who was in tremendous grief and depression, Hakim al-Ummah responded as, responded as follows. Um, Send salutations upon the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in abundance, because through it mercy descends and calamities are lifted. Uh, and then the uh, salawat of the Prophet is listed here. So in this situation, this is actually in, in the in uh, this is the way that many people actually benefit from the awliya of Allah. Is that uh, what would happen at the time of after Dhuhr is that people would send the students of Hakim al Ummah would send letters to him. And what would happen is he would open the letters after Dhuhr prayer, and he'd have this huge gathering in front of him. He'd open the letters, he'd review them, and then he would respond verbally to those letters as well, so that everybody could take benefit. This, if you if you read any book of prior scholars, you'll always see that they have 
response to letters as one of their, one of their books that, that, that's been compiled. And those responses they share publicly because this becomes an opportunity for everyone to benefit. Kind of like our Q&A session, one person asks a question, uh, and it's really, they're the one asking it, but the answer somehow becomes relevant to every single person. That's exactly what I was thinking. So in this thing, this person was looking for advice because he was in, he or she, I don't know, was in, was in tremendous grief and depression. And Hakim al-Ummah's response was to this person to send salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ in abundance because through it, mercy descends and calamities are lifted. So this is very powerful. We um, talked about it earlier in the uh, Fajr, after the Fajr prayer for those that were there. But salawat, sending salawat on the Prophet ﷺ it is a mechanism by which we reduce our grief and depression. In fact, uh, many ulama say that people that send the most salawat from the Prophet them, if you interact with these people, they always appear to be very happy. Even though they themselves may be undergoing difficulties and trials, at least outwardly and apparently, and honestly, even deep within their heart, they have this sense of contentment and happiness that it's hard to achieve in any other way. And maybe some of us have met people like this. They're constantly sending, and we're talking about 100 salawat after Fajr, 100 after Maghrib. These people are in the thousands or hundreds of thousands every single day. When you interact with them, you realize that, why is this person so happy? Why is this person so positive all the time? And when we really, you really dig deep into their life, you find that they've just, uh, they've just uh, they're drowning in their salawat of the Prophet them. They're just, they're just so absorbed in it. So for us, when we're experiencing difficulty, when we're experiencing grief, we should, and honestly, even as a preventive measure, we should make it, a, we should send as much salawat in the Prophet as possible. It's a mechanism by which we attract Allah's attention. It's a mechanism by which we increase the contentment within our heart. It's a mechanism by which we establish a connection with the Prophet So that's point number one. Or, so that's the first, uh, that's the first take home. Uh, practical thing that all of us should, to, should do. This is number two. And this is the benefits of charity, wisdom number 40. Shaykh uh, al-Hadith, Mawlana Muhammad Zakaria Kandalvi says, Rahmatullah I'm going to read it. It has been related by the Prophet of Allah وسلم, in many hadith that both charity and helping those in need are powerful means of removing calamities and hardship. Some of the Sufis have written that at the time of death, charity saves a person from the whisperings of the devil and the pangs of death. Charity also has the effect of saving a person from an evil end, thus guaranteeing a good end. Husnul Khatima. In another narration, it has been mentioned by the Prophet that charity removes grief and sadness. In short, there are tremendous benefits in giving charity. We should impress upon ourselves the importance of giving charity and encourage others to do so as well, especially considering the fact that Muslims are in great trials and tribulations in these times. Needless to say, it is very unfortunate that we have the solutions to our problems, yet we do not use them properly. So the second thing is to incorporate a system of sadaqah in our life. There's many benefits of charity, which we're not going to go to today. But as it pertains to this particular topic, the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, Be very quick in giving sadaqah. It gives the meaning, means to like, like dispense almost without thinking. Right? You just kind of spend, almost like... Um, uh, impulse buys that we have, you know, you just impulsively, you know, just give. 
بادروا بالصدقه بي فيري هيستي ان جيفينج صدقه فان البلاء لا يتخطاها بيكوز صدقه كريتس ذس بارير اراوند اس ان ويتش بلاء اور تريبيوليشنز ار نوت ايبل تو بينيتريت ثرو So it's a habit of all of uh, our pious predecessors to give sadaqah abundantly. It creates this, this protection around us and our families. So we should make it a point to establish this. Now all of us, I'm sure, give sadaqah, but the question is how consistently do we give it and how quick are we to give it? So it should be given consistently as a means of protection, especially if I'm responsible for my family. On behalf of my family, I should be regularly giving a sadaqah. Now this could be daily where I have something set up in my house where every single day I put money into there. Let's say I have cash and I put, uh, you know, honestly, the amount doesn't matter. It's the consistency that matters. It could be a dollar a day that I put in. Or let's say I have four children and I have a spouse that I'm responsible for, three children. I'm going to put in a dollar for each of these people every single day. And over the course of the month, that, that amount totals up, right? It becomes a big number. But over the, if you break it up into small amounts, it's very minimal. So every single household should be regularly giving sadaqah. Maybe you're not someone who uses cash much, so that becomes a little bit difficult. I would say at the bare minimum, at least weekly, we should be giving sadaqah. Now, we can depend on ourselves to remind and remember that we have to consciously give it, which can be tough. The beauty of technology today is that it allows for automatic deduction. So we should have automatically deducted from our account sadaqah. Now, you could say, well, my intention is not there. It is intention it was there. When you start, the, when you actually give your bank information or your credit card information, you're making the intention in the beginning that, look, I'm a weak servant. I'm inconsistent in many of my deeds. So what I'm going to do, Ya Allah, is I'm going to set this up so it automatically comes out of my account. And Allah Ta'ala will accept it. Now you don't have to even think about it and you have this protection around your family because of this weekly sadaqah that's, being, that's coming out of an account. It could be monthly as well, but monthly is a, it's a, it's a big gap and you end up giving more lump sum amounts. So having some system set up, or you can have three or four different organizations that you want to give to, right? Three or four causes that you want to give to, and every week a different deduction is coming out. You know, maybe one week orphan sponsorship, maybe one week the masjid, maybe one week uh, some other project that's being worked on. But consistently giving sadaqah and encouraging our children to give sadaqah. Our children should be involved in giving, in giving sadaqah as well. Even though they don't own money, give them $20 and say, listen, you choose where you want to give this money. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that the more sadaqah we give, the less difficulty that will come through our way. It will, it be, we, we create this impenetrable barrier around us. So it's something that really we should think about. Now, the, the benefits also of automatic deduction is that sometimes we think twice about having to give money because it's uncomfortable to have to take out money from our wallet, to swipe our credit card. So if it's automatically deducted, it's like the set it and forget it type perspective. And it's this continuous reward that we keep achieving. And in the context of this discussion, it becomes a perpetual source of protection for our families. The amount doesn't matter. The amount doesn't matter. It's the consistency and the intention behind the giving that matters. So we should be very, very particular about giving a sadaqah and have this as a part of our daily or weekly routine. The first is salawat. Second is sadaqah. The third thing that we should do practically that we should implement is to, uh, especially when, it, when we're in difficulty, but even when we're outside of difficulty, is to have a daily routine of, of thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't think we do this enough. Uh, I, I know I don't do it enough. It's a habit of people who want to be content in life to be grateful for the things that they have already, already have. This is a common practice today in atheists and agnostics 
being grateful for the things that they have. Now, these individuals are not being grateful to any superior being that's providing it for them. They're just accepting and being grateful for their circumstance. But what about us who have belief in Allah and a recognition that Allah Ta'ala is the source of every single thing that we have? Our eyesight, our clothes, our health, our parents, our children, our homes, our cars, our jobs, our cognition, our ability to think, our ability to process, our ability to, uh, to respond. All of this is from Allah. So if these individuals find it to be beneficial and they make it a point to be grateful every day and it's common practice today, what about us when we've, when we've been given and we recognize where this is coming from? So uh, the, Allah Ta'ala mentions so many places in the Qur'an that unfortunately the majority of people are ungrateful. Right? وَلَا تَجِدُوا أَكْثَرَهُمْ شَاكِرِينَ You won't find people to be grateful. Us. So we should make it a point. Now, now, what does that mean? What does shukr mean? Of course, generally speaking, we should, have a, we, should have a, we should have an attitude of being grateful. But we should have something structured in our routine as well. So one thing you can do, it's up to you, but you know, again, these are, these are just suggestions, is that every single morning when I wake up, I'm going to state three things that I'm grateful for. And every single night before I go to bed, I'm going to state three things that I'm grateful for. I'm going to think. When I wake up in the morning, Ya Allah, thank you for giving me life once again when you had taken it away. Ya Allah, thank you for uh, you know, keeping a roof over my head. Ya Allah, thank you for blessing me with two, with two you know, beautiful children. Ya Allah, thank you for uh, giving me good health. Ya Allah, thank you for not testing my iman. You know, thank you for, I mean, the list is endless. Thank you for the coffee that you give me every morning. I mean, have we thought, I mean, all, I think most people here, you know, drink a cup of something every morning, but do we actually consciously think about, you know, where this is coming from and how Allah Ta'ala has provided it for us? Ya Allah, thank you for X, Y, and Z. The, the list is endless. You could literally come up with three different things every morning and every evening until the end of your life and, not, and it won't be sufficient. I mean, there's, there's still more to, to cover. Now, the benefits of this are very powerful. Number one, it's Allah Ta'ala really appreciates those individuals that are grateful. Number two, it brings this contentment into the heart. Because look, we're bombarded with all, in this day and age, we're so bombarded with all of these apparently positive things that everyone else is experiencing. We look at this person, they have more money than us. We look at this person, they're in a higher position at work than us. We look at this person, they're having better family vacations than us. We look at this person, they have healthier children than us. We look at this person, their parents are alive and they get to spend time with them on the weekends. We look at this person and everywhere, we, and, that, and, and so what's happening is all of these, you know, quote unquote, perfect experiences now are being shared publicly. So you pull up your phone and all you see is you scroll through. Every single app just has all the positive, great things that other people have or are doing. And it makes me wonder, like, what about me? Why can't I do this? Or why can't I have this? It's very, uh, that, that in and of itself is detrimental to me. But one way to combat that is to wake up every morning and say, thank you, Ya Rab, for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Now, the reason I'm saying three isn't because there are scientific studies that prove that this is of benefit. It's because the Prophet actually taught us in a dua uh, that every single morning we should recite the following. It's beautiful because this is ties so well into everything. He said that we should make the following statement. And if we make this statement, 
then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with us in the Day of Judgment. And the statement is as follows. So if I cannot find something grateful, you know, that I can give, be, be grateful for, or do shukr to Allah for, the Prophet taught us these three things will always be there. That I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. Thank you. Because if it weren't for you taking me, taking me in, I would be nowhere. And I'm thankful for Islam as my deen. Because there are far more people in this world that don't have Islam as their deen. And that are probably more worthy of having Islam as their deen than I do. But, but Ya Allah, you've given it to me. And I am pleased with the messenger as my messenger and as my guide. Because there are so many people the people look up to in this world. But the messenger has been brought into my life to be my guide. I am more content with him as my guide than anyone else. Thank you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah. So this is built into this. So... The, every morning, every evening, before we, and the best time to do this, honestly, is when we first open our eyes in the morning. And the best time to do this in the evening is right before we go to bed. Now, our habit tends to be the first thing we do in the morning is check our phones. And the last thing we do before we go to bed at night is we check our phones again. This is what addicts who drink alcohol do, right? They need an eye opener when they first wake up in the morning. And before they go to bed, they need more alcohol in order to go to bed, right? So, <laughs> I mean, we should wake up in the morning. And begin our day with the dua of waking up, right? Alhamdulillah, And then just state, Ya Allah, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for that. And then before going to bed at night, still in bed, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this. You know, when, so, so shukr is a powerful method by which we can bring peace and contentment into our life. And it is a means by which um, Allah Ta'ala will give us more good things. Allah Ta'ala will increase us if we are grateful to Him. So, I'm going to summarize the, uh, these three things. The first thing that we mentioned is sending salawat on the Prophet وسلم, and how that is a cure for grief. Uh, and it's a method by which we bring contentment into our life amongst so many other things. Number two, we mentioned giving sadaqah regularly and consistently because it becomes a source of protection, almost like this force field around us through which uh, bala and trials cannot penetrate. And the final thing is that we should be abundantly grateful to Allah Ta'ala. And this shukr should be both in times of difficulty and in times of ease. Meaning, when we are comfortable, we should be grateful to Allah Ta'ala for the things He's given us. But even when we are uncomfortable, we should be reflect upon all the positive things in our life because that's a method by which we remove grief and sadness that comes from trial and tribulation. This is proven. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be consistent in these three things. May Allah ta'ala allow us to take these home with us and make it a regular practice for us if it's not already a practice in our life. And may Allah ta'ala allow us to do more of this if it is something that we are already doing. So there are three questions. They're all pertaining to sadaqah. Um, and I'll just quickly address these. If you employ someone that is needy, poor, is that a form of sadaqah? Meaning you pay them for work because they don't have it other, want it otherwise? Yes, sadaqah is broad. It essentially is spending on any righteous cause. So that includes helping anybody with any need they ever have. Uh, what type of charity is recommended to remove calamities? It's broad. This is not restricted. Any form of sadaqah is acceptable. 
I will say that one form of charity that every family and household should consider, especially a family and household that has children, is some degree of orphan sponsorship. Um, you know, my, my teacher mentions this best. You know, ideally for every child we are responsible for, we should have at least one orphan that we sponsor also for that child. And if we can't afford that, at least we should sponsor at least one orphan. And the, and, the, and, the, and the math behind this is easy. If I have two children and Allah Ta'ala somehow blessed me with a third child that I wasn't expecting, would I not make it a point to provide for that third child? Would I just say, oh, no, no, I only have capacity for two children, so I'm not going to be able to squeeze out the help or the money that's needed for this third child. Every single one of us would say, I have a third child, I'm going to figure out some way to cover the expenses for that child. So similarly... Uh, you know, we should assume that we have a fourth, an additional child in our household. So every family should at least take care of one orphan. If we have the ability to take care of more than that, then one orphan per child would be, would be, would be wonderful. Uh, that's not, what I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because, remember we talked yesterday, taking responsibility on our shoulders. If we take responsibility of other children on our shoulders, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will take responsibility for our children uh, to himself. So that his, their, their iman, their well-being, their, um, their iman, their well-being, uh, they're, they're, just, they're just taken care of by Allah if we take care of other children. Uh, is it acceptable part of sunnah to give sadaqah before a stressful event, i.e. a major appointment or a surgery, for example, as a means to prevent calamity or to give sadaqah when a difficult circumstance descends? Yes, it's acceptable and in some ways it's recommended. But the, the bigger question here is this is sort of a... This is, a, this is a reactionary approach to deen, but we're not reactionary. We do things all the time because Allah is great all the time. And we do things all the time because we are in need of Allah all the time. I mentioned this hadith to the brothers yesterday, and I'll mention it to everyone. When it comes to the praise of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ said that the individual who will be called, The person who will be called toward Jannah first is that person that praises Allah whether they're going through difficulty or whether they're going through ease. The praise of Allah, our worship of Allah, our servitude to Allah should not be dependent on our search situation and circumstance. That should be a constant. Similarly, sadaqah should be a constant in our life whether we're experiencing difficulty or not. If we're not experiencing difficulty, it's a protection from difficulty. And if we are experiencing difficulty, sadaqah can become a means to up get us out of it. So yes, should we do it before a stressful event, something unexpected comes up that we're worried about, we should absolutely give sadaqah that, that's, that will be of benefit to us. And inshallah, it'll protect us from that particular event being a challenge or a, diff a, a calamity for us. Uh, and even after a difficult circumstance descends, yes, we should still give sadaqah to get out of it, right? But we should also give it so that we can prevent that from even happening altogether. So if someone has a child, so this person has a child who has had a string of incidents recently in which they get minor injuries, they're stepping on things, scraping knees, etc. And, uh, and the child is asking, why do I keep getting hurt? And wants to know, how do you respond to a very young person who asks about calamities and hardships? Um, that's a very tough question. You know, this question is for someone who's experiencing minor difficulty. You know, if someone has a very ill child, um, and that child sees everyone else around them being so healthy, and they're wondering, why is it that I have type 1 diabetes, and I have to get insulin shots all the time, and no one else has to? It's very difficult, and I don't think I can answer this question, um, in this gathering, 
but it might be better if this particular parent that asked the question just asks privately, um, because this is a very, um, it's a very nuanced thing that involves a lot of mental health as well. So I'm going to defer that question, inshallah, for now. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to read this final passage. This is the conclusion of the sessions. And then I just have some uh, announcements pertaining to the sessions that I would like to share. So on the sister's screen, they can see this. A connection with Allah. Um, wisdom 30. This is, I'm just going to read this. There's not much explanation here, but I think, I think we'll all appreciate, appreciate it. Just as there is a general sense of assurance about the eventual safety of a patient upon being admitted into a hospital, likewise, there is a diminishing of all worries and stress through the blessing of having a connection with Allah. Once a sick person has reached the hospital, both the patient and his family members are at ease knowing that they are in good hands and that the hospital staff will take responsibility for doing whatever it takes to bring the patient to good health. You know, we sometimes admit patients and the first thing they'll say and their families will say, uh, as difficult as the situation is, they'll say, at least we brought them to the right place. This is the place they needed to be. And had we not brought them here, if they were stuck in the middle of Oscoda, Michigan, um, what would we have done? Once a sick person has reached the hospital, both the patient and his family members are at ease knowing that they are in good hands and that the hospital staff will take responsibility for doing whatever it takes to bring the patient to good health. They continue to believe this, along with recognizing that whatever Allah wills will eventually happen. There is a great lesson in this concept for Muslims. When someone is admitted to the realm of Allah's friendship, he should know that he is safe. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّ وَلِيِّيَ اللَّهُ الَّذِي نَزَّلَ الْكِتَابَ وَهُوَ يَتَوَلَّ الصَّالِحِينَ Verily, my protector is Allah who sent down the book, Quran, and he takes into his protection the righteous. The love and compassion of a doctor for a patient is deficient. And I can say this, his knowledge is of the patient is deficient. Similarly, his power to help the patient is deficient. Um, and anyone, any one of us that practice this, honestly, even whatever profession or role we're in, we can say this. Again, the love and compassion of a doctor for a patient is deficient. As much as we want to try to help, we just don't have the same love for patients as we do for other people in our lives. His or her knowledge of the patient is deficient. We only know so much. Similarly, his power to help the patient is deficient. There's only so much cure and treatment available in the medical field today. On the other hand, Allah Ta'ala's love for his believing and obedient servants is complete. His knowledge of them is complete. His power over them is complete. Therefore, one who leaves disobedience and comes into the realm of his friendship, Allah Ta'ala's friendship, has truly entered into a fortified stronghold. He or she will be in far better hands than the patient who enters the hospital. The contentment and ease that one feels within the realm of Allah's friendship should be much greater than the ease and comfort that they feel when admitted into a hospital. When one truly experiences this, then calamities and tribulations will not be the cause of any worry for him or her, not in the least. I mean, this um, whole discussion boils down to this, which is we're Allah's and we come from him, we return to him, and there's just this brief period in between 
where there's a bit of difficulty and tribulation that he puts every believer through. You know, one scholar gives a really interesting analogy that, you know, if you have a young child who's two or three years old and you, you hold that child in front of you and they're laughing and they're crying, and they're laughing, they're excited, and you take them and you just throw them into the air, two or three feet into the air. And for those two or three seconds, they're just in a state of, you know, heba. They're just panicked for those two or three seconds. And then they come right back down into the hands of the parent, and then they're laughing and smiling again. And this is the exact analogy of life, which is that we're always, we've always been with Allah, and then for just a brief couple of moments, Allah Ta'ala puts us into this world, and it may be 20 or 30 or 40 years. It feels like forever, but really it's just a couple of seconds where we're shaken up a bit, and we're given some challenge and some, some difficulty and experience a bit of panic and a bit of worry, but ultimately we return right back into the hands that had thrown us up to begin with. And so we just need to relax because, because we're in good hands. So it would be different if it was, this discussion wasn't in the context of uh, our wonderful Lord. So we're very fortunate that we're in Allah Ta'ala's hands and under his guardianship and under his protection. And uh, we should make it a point to try to deepen our connection with him and recognize that this life is very short. We were Allah's and he took care of us before we entered into this world. He chose to let us spend a few years in this world and, and did send a few difficulties our way. And he will continue to, but he'll take us right back. And then we'll be with him once again. And that'll be in the gardens of Jannah with comfort and luxury and ease. And that'll truly be in a place and in a state where there's no worry, there's no sadness, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no panic, there's no depression. There's none of that. It's just bliss for all of eternity. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, allow us to uh, develop a deep relationship with, Allah, with him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and our families from any difficulties and challenges. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to exhibit patience and sabr through the challenges of this world so that we can attain a very high place in Jannah. Wa akhru da'wan alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.